Welcome to Murder Bucket. I'm your host, Hannah, and this is the podcast where I dive deep into murders, paranormal activity, abductions, kidnappings, and weird stuff. Let's see what I'm going to pull out of the bucket this week. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Good evening, Murder Bucket family, and welcome to another glorious Tuesday. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, I would highly recommend it, as tonight's episode might not make any sense. Last week's episode, we talked all about the Branch Davidians, their history, and the 1993 Waco siege. So that means tonight we will be talking about the trial, the imprisonments, all the civil suits, the Danforth report, and everything in between. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, you might want to stop here and go ahead and do that before you continue. Before we start with part two, let's go ahead and do our week-slash-weekend recap. We are in the midst of December. All of the holidays, whether you just finished celebrating Hanukkah or you are getting ready to celebrate Christmas and then New Year's, I hope you're ready. Unlike me, I just got ready last week. Really, just a couple of days ago. Yes, I have Christmas presents, and no, I don't have all of them wrapped. We did buy our Christmas tree last week before part one aired, but it sat in our living room all week in its tree stand with no lights and no Christmas ornaments on it until Sunday. And that was the same with the rest of my house. We didn't take any of our Christmas decorations out of the attic until Sunday, but now the house is all Christmasfied. And yes, I just made up that word and that's okay. So, to be perfectly honest with you, that was the extent of anything exciting that happened last week. Because, like I usually always say, I can't remember what I did. So, instead of me continuing to ramble, let's just go ahead and move on to tonight's episode. The Branch Davidians and the 1993 Waco Siege Part 2. On August 3rd, 1993, a federal grand jury came out with a 10-count indictment against 12 of the surviving Branch Davidians. Some of those charges were that they had conspired to and aided and abetted in the murder of federal officers and had unlawfully possessed and used various firearms. The jury acquitted four of the members of all charges and acquitted all of them on the murder-related charges. Five of them were convicted of aiding and abetting the voluntary manslaughter of federal agents. Eight members were convicted on firearms charges. 
The convicted Branch Davidians who received sentences of up to 40 years were Kevin Whitecliffe, convicted of voluntary manslaughter and using a firearm during a crime. Jamie Castillo, convicted of voluntary manslaughter and using a firearm during a crime. Paul Gordon Fatto, convicted of conspiring to possess machine guns and aiding Branch Davidian leader David Korish in possessing machine guns. Renos Avram, convicted of voluntary manslaughter and using a firearm during a crime. Graeem Craddock, convicted of possessing a grenade and using or possessing a firearm during a crime. Brad Branch, convicted of voluntary manslaughter and using a firearm during a crime. Livingston Fagan, convicted of voluntary manslaughter and using a firearm during a crime. Ruth Riddle, convicted of using or carrying a weapon during a crime. And Catherine Schroeder, sentenced to three years after pleading guilty to a reduced charge of forcibly resisting arrest. Six of the members sentenced for use of machine guns were vacated in the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. They determined that the district court made no finding that they used these weapons. Their other verdicts were unchanged. After further review, five of those were resentenced after the district court found evidence that they had employed machine guns. The defendants appealed for a second time. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals affirmed their decision. Their issue was then taken to the United States Supreme Court. The Supreme Court reversed the Fifth Circuit Court's decision, stating that the term machine gun in the relevant statute created an element of the offense to be determined by a jury rather than a sentencing factor to be determined by a judge. On September 19, 2000, Judge Walter Smith cut 25 years from the sentences of five convicted Branch Davidians and five years from the sentence of another. As of 2007, all Branch Davidians have been released from prison. During the siege, there were a total of 33 British citizens that were members and 24 of them died. Derek Lovelock was arrested and imprisoned without trial for several months for being considered a material witness. He was often left in solitary confinement. Livingston Fagan was also arrested as a material witness. He states that he received several beatings from correctional officers. He goes on to claim that he was doused with cold water with a high-pressured hose. During his imprisonment, He was moved between nine different facilities, and after his release, he was deported back to the UK in 2007. Many surviving members of the Branch Davidians, as well as the family members of those who died, filed civil suits against the United States government, federal officers, former Texas Governor Ann Richards, and the Texas Army National Guard. The purpose of the civil suits was to seek monetary damages under the Federal Tort Claims Act, Civil Rights Statutes, the Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, and Texas state law. The Federal Tort Claims Act permits private parties to sue the United States in a federal court 
for most torts committed by persons acting on behalf of the United States. The Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act is a United States federal law that provides for extended criminal penalties and civil cause of acts performed as part of an ongoing criminal organization. These were the main questions that this case revolved around. Number one, did the ATF agents shoot indiscriminately into the compound on February 28th? Number two, did the FBI start and spread the fire on April 19th? Number three, did the FBI shoot into the compound? Number four, did the FBI prematurely demolish the compound? And number five, did the FBI prevent firefighters from reaching the compound in a timely fashion after the compound went up in flames? Normally, a case like this is called a non-jury trial, but Judge Smith called for a jury to serve in an advisory capacity to help him sift through the evidence and make findings of fact. However, he did not have to accept any of their findings. In April of 2000, the Justice Department requested that Judge Smith throw out most of the claims. He was asked to reject three of the five major aspects in this case that federal agents erred in not bringing in armored firefighting equipment, that they wrongly held back firefighters as the compound burned, and that using tanks to push into the compound deviated from the operation plan that the Attorney General had approved. During the closing arguments, Governor Attorney Michael Bradford looked into the Branch Davidians' role in the siege. He stated that they set fire to the place and that they were responsible for the deaths there because they burned the place down. He goes on to state, This was one of the most terrible and horrible events in our history, and they want to come into court and ask you to award them a judgment? That would be wrong. It would not be supported by anything that would be just and right. After a month-long trial, the court rejected the case on July 15, 2000. They found that on February 28, 1993, the Branch Davidians initiated a gun battle when they fired at federal officers. They went on to find that the government's planning of the siege was a discretionary function for which the government could not be sued. They stated that the use of tear gas was not negligent. And lastly, they stated that even if the United States government was negligent by causing damage to the buildings before the fires broke out, that negligence did not cause the injuries to the plaintiffs because the Branch Davidians had started the fire. In an article on abcnews.go.com, a statement by the U.S. Justice Department officials said that they were pleased to be exonerated. They are quoted saying, This terrible tragedy was the responsibility of David Koresh and the Branch Davidians, not the federal government. We are pleased that the jury affirmed that view. There has been a lot of speculation, misinformation, and second-guessing over the past seven years. We are grateful that this trial and other actions by the court allowed the allegations to be aired and the facts to be proved. 
Clive Doyle, who was one of nine people that escaped the inferno, continued to maintain that the government's version of what happened that day was untrue, but he was not surprised by the verdict. He is also quoted in that same article saying, I would have been surprised if the jury had ruled in our favor. It's kind of like the Kennedy assassination. You have the official version and you have what everyone else believes. Of course, they appealed this ruling. They believe that the trial judge, Walter Smith Jr., should have recused himself from hearing their claims because of his relationships with the defendants, defense counsel, and the court staff. The Fifth Circuit Court agreed that the allegations did not reflect conduct that would cause a reasonable observer to question Judge Smith's unbiasedness. Their appeal was then denied. In 1999, Attorney General Janet Reno appointed former Senator John Danforth to head an independent investigation into the Waco tragedy. At that time, he was an Episcopal priest and had been the Attorney General in Missouri for eight years. Janet Reno wanted to determine whether representatives of the United States committed bad acts, not whether they exercised bad judgment. After a 10-month investigation, they announced that blame for the Waco tragedy rests solely with David Koresh. Here are some key issues that were covered during this investigation. Number one, whether agents of the United States started or contributed to the spread of the fire that killed members of the Branch Davidian Group on April 19, 1993. Number two, whether agents of the United States directed gunfire at the Branch Davidian complex on April 19, 1993. Number three, whether agents of the United States use any pyrotechnic device at the Branch Davidian complex on April 19, 1993. Number four, whether there was any illegal use of the armed forces of the United States in connection with the events leading up to the deaths occurring at the Branch Davidian complex on April 19, 1993. And number five, whether any government representative made or allowed others to make false or misleading statements, withheld evidence or information from any individual or entity entitled to receive it or destroyed, altered, or suppressed evidence or information concerning the events occurring at the Branch Davidian Complex on April 19, 1993. In an article on religioustolerance.org, it states these conclusions from that investigation. Number one, the government of the United States and its agents are not responsible for the April 19, 1993 tragedy at Waco. The government, A, did not cause the fire, B, did not direct gunfire at the Branch Davidian complex, and C, did not improperly employ the armed forces of the United States. Number two, responsibility for the tragedy of Waco rests with a certain of the Branch Davidians and their leader, Vernon Howell, also known as David Koresh, who A, shot and killed four ATF agents on February 28, 
1993, and wounded 20 others. B. Refused to exit the complex peacefully during the 51-day standoff that followed the ATF raid despite extensive efforts and concessions by negotiators for the FBI. C. Directed gunfire at FBI agents who were inserting tear gas into the complex on April 19, 1993. D. Spread fuel throughout the main structure of the complex and ignited it in at least three places, causing the fire which resulted in the deaths of those Branch Davidians not killed by their own gunfire. And E. Killed some of their own people by gunfire, including at least five children. Number three, while the special counsel has concluded that the United States government is not responsible for the tragedy at Waco on April 19, 1993, the special counsel states that with equal certainty that an FBI agent fired three pyrotechnic tear gas rounds at 8.08 a.m. on April 19th at the concrete construction pit approximately 75 feet from the living quarters of the Davidian complex. The pyrotechnic tear gas rounds did not start the fire that consumed the complex four hours later. And number four, the special counsel has also concluded that certain FBI and Department of Justice officials failed to disclose to the Attorney General, Congress, the courts, counsel for the Davidians, and the public evidence and information about the use of pyrotechnic tear gas rounds until August of 1999. This failure resulted from a combination of the inappropriate handling of evidence by FBI and Department of Justice employees. As more fully set out below, the special counsel has concluded that some of these employees also obstructed the investigation. Currently, there is one modern-day incarnation of the Branch Davidians that is a legally recognized denomination with 12 members called the Branch, the Lord Our Righteous. This was started by Charles Pace, a former follower of Ben and Lois Roden. Charles states that David Koresh twisted the Bible's teaching by fathering more than a dozen children with its members. He also believes that the Lord anointed him and appointed him to be the leader of this new incarnation. For more extensive information regarding this new branch, check out twobranches.info. I'll post the link in our show notes. After the Waco siege, there have been many references in pop culture. So let's run through those. The first film made was considered a docudrama called In the Line of Duty, Ambush in Waco. This was made during the siege and before the April 19th assault on the church. The film's writer, Phil Pennegroth, has since disowned his screenplay as pro-ATF propaganda. The first book written was called Inside the Cult and was authored by ex-Branch Davidian Mark Brulot who left the group in 1989, and Martin King, who interviewed David Koresh for Australian TV in 1992. True crime author Clifford Lindecker wrote the book called Massacre at Waco, Texas. 
A collection of 45 essays were published called From the Ashes, Making Sense of Waco. These included the events of Waco, the cultural, historical, and religious perspectives. One of the essays that was written by Michael Barkin talked about how the Branch Davidians' behavior was consistent with other religious sects and how the use of the word cult is used to discredit religious organizations. John Updike was inspired by the Waco siege, and in the fourth and last part of his book, In the Beauty of Lilies, he describes how a troubled child could integrate such a sect and the inner dynamics that led to a collective massacre. Branch Davidian survivor David Thibodeau wrote a book called A Place Called Waco that was published in 1999. His book served in part as the basis for the 2018 Paramount Network's six-part drama called Waco. There have also been many documentaries made. Waco, The Big Lie, and Waco 2, The Big Lie Continues, was produced by Linda Thompson in 1993. Day 51, The True Story of Waco, was produced by Richard Mosley in 1995. Waco, The Rules of Engagement, was produced by Dan Gifford and Amy Sommer in 1997. The FLIR Project was produced by Michael McNulty in 2001. The Assault on Waco aired on Discovery Channel in 2006. Inside Waco aired on HBO in 2007. Witnesses to Waco aired on MSNBC in 2009. There was also several different bands that featured songs written about the Branch Davidian. They are... The Machine Heads wrote a song regarding the standoff called Davidian and was on their debut album called Burn My Eyes. Native American activist Russell Means included a song on his 2007 album, The Radical, called Waco, The White Man's Wounded Knee. And finally, the Indelicates released a concept album in 2011 called David Korish Superstar, all about David and the Waco siege. And that concludes the Branch Davidians and the 1993 Waco siege, part two. I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode, and thank you again for listening. Before you go, check out this promo from my friends at the Boozed and Confused podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Carol Ann. And I'm Matt. And we are the hosts of Boozed and Confused. Boozed and Confused dives into the weird topics that you never knew existed. Join us every Monday to drink and discuss all things unknown, unexpected, otherworldly, and just plain strange. Each week, we will take you on a journey to learn about things like time travel and who John Teeter is. Weird history like the New England vampire panic. Conspiracy theories like... Katy Perry being John Benet Ramsey or aliens or the paranormal like ghosts that haunt the White House. Listen to Boost and Confused every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. See you then. 
thanks for sticking around to the end. I hope you have enjoyed tonight's episode. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at MurdBucket, Twitter at The Murder Bucket, and Facebook at Bucket Murd. Check out weekly posts regarding new episodes and chime in on the weekend slash week recaps. I would love to get to know you better. Have a great day.